Good morning. My name is Adam Venable, and I'm the RUF campus minister over at UAB. Um, I feel like it's been a while since I've been up here, and it, uh, it feels good to get to open up God's Word to you this morning. Um, this passage that we're looking at, Psalm 5, was hard for me this week. I don't know what non-pastors, non-preachers think about pastors and how easy it is for them to understand the Bible, but often it is not easy uh, for us to understand passages. And this one in particular, Psalm 5, it was very challenging for me, but I, I wrestled with it all week, and by the end of the week, Psalm 5 became very sweet to me, and I hope that it will be sweet to you after we look at it uh, briefly this morning. So look with me, Psalm 5. I'm going to read the preface as well, which is just a couple of sentences. It's, it's not in your bulletin, uh, but it is in the scriptures. Uh, this is Psalm 5. It says to the choir master for the flutes, a psalm of David, Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their innermost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. Let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy. And spread your protection over them that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover them with favor as with a shield. Heavenly Father, we pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts together would be good and right and pleasing to you. Lord Jesus, we pray this in your name. Amen. So this is a Psalm of David, and I mentioned that in the, uh, in the preface when I said the choir master for the flutes, a Psalm of David, and uh, what does that mean to the choir master for the flutes? I know, I know that's not in your bulletin, but it is in the scripture. And basically, we don't really know. Um, it was a, a term used to describe these different songs and prayers that are in the book of songs. But sometimes we're just not quite sure what these mean. This psalm might have been gathered together to give to uh, this person who would have been over the choir. That's possible. But it was written by David, which is important. The book of Psalms is divided into five books. And uh, the first 41 psalms are mostly all written by David. King David, one of the most important people in the Old Testament, King of Israel. And... 
That'll be very important as we read this psalm. Why do we need Psalm 5? This is why I think we need Psalm 5. Is that it's all about what do you do when you get hurt? When you've been wounded physically, you've been wounded or hurt emotionally, what do you do with that? David in his life uh, was hurt many times, both physically and emotionally. And what did he do with that? And what I want you to see is there's this, there's this amazing thing that Psalm 5 wants to teach us, and it's something about Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the, the greater David, the, the greater king of Israel, Jesus. And it's this, that Jesus is our refuge and our avenger. Jesus is our refuge and our avenger. That's what I want you to see from Psalm 5. We believe that the whole Old Testament, it all points forward to Jesus, And Psalm 5 is no different. And and as much as we can see how it points to Christ, that's how well we understand it, really. Um, And so I I might go back and forth a little bit. Think of it like these two big pillars that are going to hold us up and and, and bear our pain and and bear the ways that we've been wounded. One of the pillars is Christ our refuge, and one of the pillars is Christ our avenger. And David kind of goes back and forth between those two pillars of refuge and avenger. And he starts off with refuge. He says, Give ear to my words, O Lord, and consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. The first way Jesus is our refuge here is that when we come to God in the name of Jesus, God hears our prayer. When we're in pain, when we've been wounded, in our flesh, just in our own natural mind, we don't want to think about God. We don't don't want to go to God when someone has hurt us, right? What do we normally do when, when we get hurt? We do one of two things, or both. We either lash out in anger when someone hurts you, physically or, or, or emotionally, you want revenge. Or you, you, you check out, you disconnect, you disassociate, you numb when you've been hurt. And what David wants us to see is that we have a refuge in God when we come in the name of Jesus. That he loves to hear our prayer. And David uses these different words for prayer. He, he says, uh, give ear to my words. Hear my words, Lord. He calls them groaning. And the word there in Hebrew is something like, uh, hear my innermost thoughts, God. Hear my sighs. He's praying to God with his sighs and his innermost thoughts. And then he describes his prayer like a cry. Hear my cry, O oh God. When you go to God in Jesus, he loves to hear your sighs and your innermost thoughts about your pain. And your groaning and your words. And, you know, you may have grown up in a home where it was not safe to admit that you had been hurt deeply. Uh, and the best of parents, right? The, the best of parents cannot communicate to their kids, you know, it's always safe to come and tell me about your pain and how you've been hurt. We fail, we fail as parents. God the Father never fails. We can always go to him and find a refuge in him to cry, to give him our our deepest sighs and our thoughts. And our our prayer should always be from the heart, that that means. 
Um, but there's something else about prayer here, but before we move on, in verse 3, he says, in, in the morning, hear my voice. In the morning, I prepare a sacrifice for you. And if you have a different translation besides the ESV, yours might uh, not include the part about preparing a sacrifice for God, because it, literally in the Hebrew, it just says, um, I prepare for you, God. But the ESV has translated that, prepare a sacrifice, because normally that word prepare is used in the Old Testament to talk about what the priest did to prepare a sacrifice for God. That's why they've translated it that way. The point is that David is saying that his prayer to God, his crying out to God, his innermost thoughts, it's like the priest preparing the morning sacrifice. David goes to God the way that a priest would prepare in the morning sacrifice and watches. Why is that good news? Is that sometimes, uh, man, it can feel like it's so hard for our hearts uh, to feel close to God in prayer. You ever tried to pray to God and you just don't feel close to him? You don't feel connected to him? But the good news is that prayer is like preparing uh, the morning sacrifice if you're an Old Testament priest, and that you just do the work. Like if you've ever built a fire, you put one log on top of the other, and you do the things that, uh, that, that you do to build a fire, and then you light it, and then you trust that this is, uh, is going to work. And the same was true about the sacrifice. And it, it wouldn't do for the priest to obsess about, did I, get the rog, did I get the logs in the right place? Did I prepare the sacrifice just right? No, the point was to trust in the mercy and the grace of God, even if he didn't feel like he had done it perfectly. And and God is like that. When we come in the name of Christ, we don't have to obsess about, did we get it right? Do we feel all the right things? God is our refuge. We go to him in prayer. Uh, But then David transitions sort of awkwardly, at least that feels that way to me. It didn't feel awkward to David. I don't think it feels awkward to God. But David transitions quickly to, you are not a God who delights in wickedness. There must be a backstory here to explain why David's doing this. Then he says, evil may not dwell with you, O God. The boastful won't stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. We can see from this that David had encountered men who were wicked. He had encountered uh, people who were boastful, who uh, spoke lies, who were bloodthirsty and deceitful. And David in his life, we know from his story, he was persecuted by Saul and his own son Absalom and others. And so David in his life would have seen plenty of men who could qualify as bloodthirsty and liars and who live to deceive. And as, as followers of Jesus, we can all look within our hearts and see ways uh, that we don't always love the truth the way that we're supposed to. Or uh, those of us who follow Jesus, we can look in our own hearts and see ways that we fall short and, and we do lose our temper and, and say things that we shouldn't. That's not what David is talking about here. He's talking about people, men and women, who have given themselves over to living a life of deceit or living a life that David calls bloodthirsty. 
They have given their hearts completely over um, to evil, uh, which is why he cries out to God, um, and he wrote this psalm for the good of Israel. He wanted Israel to sing and to pray this. He wanted Israel to know that God hates evil. And I don't, I don't know about you, as, as, as I read the newspaper, uh, I don't actually read the newspaper, uh, but I do look at a lot of websites, news websites, um, and I, I do read a news magazine. I think there's a few people that still read the newspaper. But as I, as I look at the headlines, um, it is not obvious to me that God hates evil. Um, as I read what's going on sometimes in our country, in our state, in our city, if I just add, look at the headlines and added that all up, what conclusion would I draw? I don't think I would conclude that God hates evil. Because it, it, it is rampant, isn't it? It's rampant. Which is why we need Psalm 5. Um, my advice to myself and to you is, is to, to, to read your favorite news website uh, and to have Psalm 5 underneath it the whole, the whole time that God hates evil. God, I, I need you to remind me that you hate evil because it's, it's not clear to me as, as I look out at the world, but he does. He hates liars. He hates people who have given themselves over to wounding other people with their words, uh, physically, by hurting them. God hates that. And man, is that good news. Um, I need to know, God, that when, when that thing happens on the news again, Uh, Where that person is hurt and wounded that way again. I need to know that you abhor that. That you despise it. He switches very quickly again, right? He's been at the pillar of uh, of, of Avenger. Jesus is our Avenger. And he wants us to know that he hates evil. And he switches right back to our refuge. In verse 7, he says... But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. I'll bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lord, lead me in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. And David here is acknowledging that if God were to... Uh, judge every thought that he had, if God were to, to measure every way that he had treated people and every uh, thought that he had, had ever, ever had about people, he couldn't stand before God. And that his only hope is in the steadfast love of God, in the abundance of God's steadfast love. David has put his hope in that. And God has given us this image in order to reveal something glorious about the greater David, about um, the greater king of Israel, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the revelation of the abundance of God's steadfast love. Um, Jesus is the, is the revelation of God's steadfast love. Number one, because Jesus um, pities us when we've been wounded. 
We have the ear of Jesus Christ in heaven when we have been hurt. He looks down not with indifference, but with the love of a father who cares about the fact that his child has been hurt. And David says that it's through this steadfast love that I will enter your house. In Jesus Christ, we have come home to God. And so, if, if all the people in the world are wounding us and hurting us physically, uh, emotionally, when we look to Jesus Christ, he reminds us that we are not homeless, that we have a home in him. And David says that it's, uh, he says, I will bow down toward your temple in the fear of you. And it's, it's a little strange here because if, uh, those of you who've read the Old Testament, uh, King David at this time, God lived in this, in this tent, a tabernacle. There was no temple during David's time. And so the question comes up, why is David calling uh, this, this a temple? Why is he talking about the temple? The temple didn't even exist yet. But if you actually go back to 1 Samuel, God calls the tabernacle both his house and the, and the temple before the temple is even built. God calls um, his presence the house of the Lord and the temple of the Lord. And so that's why David called it that, because God had called it that. And he prays to God, it is because of your, uh, the abundance of your steadfast love. He looks forward to the Messiah who's coming. He can see the shadow. He can't see completely like we can. But he can see the abundance of the steadfast love in this Messiah who's coming, Jesus Christ, who we can see now clearly. Jesus Christ who takes us into the house of God, into the temple of God. And he prays, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. I mentioned earlier that when we are wounded and hurt... One of our tendencies, I think, is to, to disconnect and disassociate and uh, many times self-medicate if you've been hurt. People who have been wounded, people who have been sinned against, tend to respond sinfully, right, if you've been wounded. And the good news is that what David wants us to see is that we don't have to do that, that God is a refuge that his love is abundant when we look to the face of Jesus Christ. And I think David is having to pray here, because of my enemies, I need you to lead me in your righteousness. Life is painful. Heavenly Father, I need you to give me wisdom that in the midst of the pain of life, to go to you, Lord Jesus, as my refuge. Then he moves quickly um, from refuge back to avenger. Okay, we're back to avenger in verse 9. And he says, There is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave, and they flatter with their tongue. And if if you notice there, he's using these different words for mouth and tongue. Um, You've got, there's no truth in their mouth. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. It's just a way of saying all of them. With everything that they are, they're pursuing evil and lies. He says their inmost self is destruction. But then he says in verse 10, Make them bear their guilt, O God. 
Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. And this is a part of the psalm, Psalm 5, that theologians, as uh, kind of a nerdy word, imprecatory. You ever heard that word, imprecatory? And it just means to apply a curse, to pray to God to curse someone or to curse something. That's what David is doing here. He is praying to God that God would curse these people whose throat is an open grave. The image there is of an open grave, and it's just waiting to swallow anyone that might come by. And um, this is the part of the psalm that's the most difficult for me. What, uh, What on earth do we do with this? Because as Christians, right, New Testament, Jesus, how does Jesus tell you to treat your enemy? How does Jesus tell you to treat those who persecute you, who hurt you? He says to love your enemy and to bless those who persecute you. And so what are we to do with this? Are are we just to take this part of the Old Testament and just kind of be a little embarrassed by it? And, you know, I read all these other Psalms, but I don't read those because they're just kind of weird. Is is that what we should do with it? I, I don't think so. This part of the Psalm is a picture of the glory of Christ, our Avenger. It's David speaking not just as an average Israelite, but it's David speaking as king. As as a king, he had a duty to protect the nation of Israel and to destroy and to restrain all their enemies. Jesus is a good shepherd who must shepherd his sheep. And who must defend them from the wolves. David here is giving us a picture of the Lord Jesus. Who promises to come. And to say. If you have dedicated your life. If you have given yourself over. To wounding and hurting others. And you have not responded to my pleas for mercy. It doesn't end well for you. And I'll say again, that is despite his pleas for mercy. And you see this in the life of David. The way that Saul treated David and the way that Absalom treated David. And you might think that David was full of cursing his enemies and had a quick trigger. That whenever someone wounded him, he struck back. Not the case. David was merciful to Saul, who tried to kill him. And the same for Absalom, who tried to kill David. David was merciful. Christ Jesus is no different. What does Jesus say on the cross? As liars and thieves and bloodthirsty men are killing Jesus, what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He is full of mercy and grace. And he promises that anyone who will turn to him and look to his mercy and look to his grace and look to the steadfastness of his abundant love, even if you have been a bloodthirsty man like like the Apostle Paul dedicated himself 
to murder and to spreading lies. And he turned to Jesus and Jesus forgave him and gave him eternal life. His mercy is abundant. He is a refuge for sinners. God justifies not the righteous. He doesn't justify the righteous. God justifies the wicked. But Jesus' promises is that if you reject his mercy, that he will come again, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. And he will protect his sheep from the wolves. And those people will experience the anger of God for all eternity. And they'll experience his anger not because they were born bad or not because they were inherently uh, uh, bad or something like that. They will experience his anger because of the way that they treated others. Because of the way that they treated God and rebellion against him. And that's why they will experience his anger. And I I would submit to you that Christianity, uh, there are exceptions to this. There are exceptions. I want to acknowledge that. But Christianity in principle and the best of Christianity has for 2,000 years in the face of persecution has responded with peace and with offers of forgiveness. In part, I believe, because Christians know that they don't have to take vengeance into their own hands. It's not up to us to avenge our own wrongs. It's not up to us to to, to avenge all the ways that uh, you're hurt and wounded by others. Christ is our avenger. We don't have to be. And that means that we can be merciful towards one another, especially when, especially when we are hurt. Because I know Jesus is going to take care of that. And I can bless those who persecute me, and I can be merciful towards my enemies, and I can pray for them. Can a Christian, should a Christian right now pray the words, make them bear their guilt, O God? I don't think so. I don't think a Christian can pray that now. Because we have to trust Jesus to pray that prayer for us. Because Jesus' mission now is to extend mercy and grace to the world. And he ends that way on a note of the, the, the glory of God's grace. Let all those who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them. That those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. And those of you who are Christians, those of you who look to Jesus, um, I especially want to talk to you if you've been wounded and hurt and you have prayed to God, but you still don't feel like God is your refuge. And the abundance of his love, it's just clouds. uh, It's just shadows. Um, The good news for you is that the way that David prays for Israel, your Savior, Jesus Christ, did you know that he prays for you? If you're a child of God, if you're a Christian, the Bible says that Jesus lives to intercede for you. Did you know that? The way that I love chocolate, Jesus loves to intercede, to pray for you. 
says to Peter, you know, Satan demanded to have you. Peter, I prayed for you. My prayer is like an indestructible castle. Like no one can, can, can destroy it. If you're a Christian, if you're a child of God, look to him. Now, look to Jesus. Let him remind you that he prays for you in your weakness. When you don't feel close to him, he is upholding you by his prayer. Um, oh, that we would just get a glimpse of the glory of Christ, our refuge uh, and our avenger. If we could just get just a, gl- a distant glimpse of him, um, that would be enough to sustain us and, and, uh, and uphold us in the midst of our wounds so that we can extend mercy to the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do um, come to you weak and wounded and sick and sore, and we deal and cope with our woundedness and, and woundedness in so many ways that are not healthy. We, uh, we lash out in anger and revenge, and we, uh, we numb our pain. And Lord Jesus, we need you to be our refuge and the one who makes all wrongs right. Help us to wait for you to do that so we can be your, instru- your instruments of mercy. Here now in our families, in our city, in the world, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.